Hey everyone, it's Robert Poole again. Welcome back to the Growing Your B2B Small Business Podcast. Today we're going to talk about a trap that a lot of entrepreneurs have fallen into, and that trap is competing on price, the consequences of that strategy, and how we really need to position our companies for growth. Let's get started. You have a B2B small business. Are you frustrated with the lack of resources to grow in B2B? So where do we go to learn how to grow our B2B small business? Should we focus on traditional offline methods, online techniques, or both? How do we bring in more clients and revenue and yet keep our sanity? I'm Robert Poole. Join me as I share two decades of B2B growth experience, learn new techniques, and combine both offline and online growth strategies to grow my own business. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of an elite group of achievers who aren't willing to settle for just a nine-to-five job. You're one of the heroes in our society, and you should be proud of it. Welcome to the tribe, and welcome home. Hey, everyone. I hope you're having an awesome day today. In the last episode, we talked about how to effectively persuade a decision maker to want to actually meet with you and the steps needed to accomplish that. Before we get started, though, as a side note, I wanted to apologize for the lack of episodes in the last month. Uh, Life and business got crazy, but as you know, that's just an excuse. My goal is to get out at least three episodes a week, so I'm I'm getting back to that, and uh, I really do enjoy these podcasts, and I hope you're getting something out of them. So today, I wanted to talk about how we position our product or service and uh, how we position our company in the marketplace. You know, one of the big things uh, that you see a lot is uh, companies competing purely on price, and uh, you know, a lot of things. You know, it makes sense, of course, to uh, if you get that's one strategy. You know, being the low price leader. Uh, if you're the least expensive, you know, that that certainly makes sense. Why would everybody not buy from you? And why is that a good strategy? But I think there's a lot of things that we don't consider. Uh, and I've certainly done this myself with our company over the years. And we've experienced, you know, what the, the consequences of this. But, you know, just a few things to keep in mind. You know, if you're the low price leader, you know, it's uh, what I heard years ago, uh, a real estate trainer, uh, Mike Fair, used to talk about uh, listings and and, quote, buying business, meaning you would come in and undercut other real estate agents, you know, at, do it at 4% instead of 6% or something like that. Um, and uh, it's a way of basically getting people to do business with you, regardless of the level of service or whatever, just uh, based upon price. And, you know, the problem with that is it really attracts the long, wrong uh, clients and customers to your company. You know, I'm sure they're nice people, but a lot of them don't have the money to spend. That's why they're choosing the low cost uh, offering. And really, it also devalues our offering. You know, I mean, if if your offering is good and solid and, and you're proud of it, you should charge for it. You know, it also makes buyers nervous and turns off good buyers. Uh, you know, I heard an example, I think it was Steve Larson talked about this. You know, if you can imagine, you know, you uh, see a listing online and you say, wow, look at that. Uh, there's a Ferrari for sale and I'm, I'm going to go over to this dealer and take a look at it. And you go out there and, it, you know, you think this is probably a $300,000, you know, a Ferrari, not something I'm going to buy anytime soon. But let's just say you you were in that market. And you walked out on, on the lot and, uh, you know, the sales person's there talking to you and giving you the whole spiel and everything and uh, how great it is. And you were, you're thinking, wow, this is a fantastic car. I really want this. You know, um, it's, it's worth $300,000 to me. And then the salesman says to you, wow. And you know what? It is your lucky day for today. You can get it for the low price of $30,000. So all of a sudden, you know, what's going through your mind? Well, the obvious, what's wrong with this? Why is this? This car should be worth three hundred thousand. Why are they not charging that? And you get cold feet, and I guarantee I'd walk away from it, and most people would. And the reason is people understand value and perceive value. And if you charge too low and you're the low uh, price leader, they're really going to question that and question the quality of your product or your service. You know, um, years ago, this is probably 
maybe about 10 years ago, we had sales reps. Um, and at the time, that was one of the ways we competed in our business, um, doing B2B uh, cold calling and marketing. And it, we found where the competitive rates were and we undercut everybody else. And we got a lot of business that way. But then, you know, we noticed over time that our sales reps were getting more and more questions from clients and or prospects and the prospects who were to ask them, you know, okay, this is, this is fantastic, everything you've described to me, but what's the catch here? Because this doesn't make any sense. How can you do it for this low a price? And, you know, of course, we had to dance around that answer of, well, we work on, you know, low margins and blah, 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 uh, technology and organization and stuff. But, you know, again, we were turning off buyers and we were attracting the wrong type of customers. You know, and then there's, of course, the obvious, you know, which it lowers your profits and prevents you from being able to hire the best people, for instance, or investing in your business to where it needs to be invested in. You know, and it really prevents us from serving our customers the, the way they should be served. It's not fair to them. And if we don't charge enough, you know, you can't serve them effectively, which is all what we should be in business for. You know, and another aspect I've noticed over the years that Customers that uh, are looking for, a, you know, a low price deal, you know, they'll treat you like you charge them. So if you're selling a super cheap, you know, commodity, you know, understandably, they're not really going to respect your company, your employees or you for that matter. And, and so you're going to have to deal with that from a customer service perspective, you know, because they don't when they see the product that's valued so low, they don't have high expectations. and You're just another person, you know, or another company. And since you're a commodity focused on price, there's absolutely no loyalty. You know, you're going to be constantly lowering your price when another competitor with big pockets comes in and undercuts you because, you know, they have the resources to lose money for a period of time. And then all your customers can jump ship because all they care about is lower prices. Well, so have I convinced you that it's not a good idea? Well, either way, whatever you do, you don't want to be the second lowest priced offering. I think um, I, I heard Russell Brunson talk about this, and I think he originally got it from Dan Kennedy. But, you know, there's no strategic advantage to being the second lowest price if you think about it. You know, I mean, you can make the argument that the lowest price gets you market share in sales and that sort of thing, but you can't really make the argument that, you know, the second gets you market share in sales because no one really cares about the, who the second place winner is in a price competition. It's not like the Olympics where everybody sees one, two, three. Second is you basically lost. So if you're number one, it's easy to get undercut overnight and then suddenly you're in second place, which is completely useless. So, you know, that's the downside of being the lowest bidder, so to speak. But what about the opposite? What about being the premium choice? So why is that, uh, you know, an effective strategy versus being the low cost leader? Well, number one, you're going to attract the right customers. They typically will have more resources to buy. And so selling to them is a lot easier when they're not so focused on price, you know, and they'll be easier to work with, you know, because they understand the value of your product or service and respect that. And which means they'll also respect you, your team and view you more as peers other than just, you know, lowly salespeople. They're just focused on money. You know, and it, it's a human psychology thing, but uh, they'll be proud of the fact that they paid premium. I mean, um, it, did you hear that? People get like to feel important. You know, have you ever had a friend come show you their new uh, Chevy Spark that they got a deal on for 13000 My guess is probably not, maybe. I mean, but most likely not. However, if they bought a $75,000 or $100,000 Mercedes, I guarantee they're showing it off to anyone who will actually listen. You know, I've got a neighbor across the street that bought a new Mercedes uh, a couple of years ago. And I remember she came over and this is a neighbor that is very uh, private. And I've talked to her one time since I've lived there in 15 years. I think she's lived there 10 years, he and her husband. And the only time I've talked to her is when she wanted to show off her new Mercedes. She came over specifically to show me her new Mercedes. And that was the only time I talked to her. So that's how important it was to her because she felt so good about buying this premium product. So, you know, another positive is that you're not in danger of your competitiveness 
by being bumped off just because someone undercuts you. You know, that's a huge risk uh, if you're just going based upon price. You know, if your offer is sold to the right customers with the right sales skills, that'll engender loyalty to you and your brand. And they won't jump ship or even consider that because they appreciate the value you provide. And the customers that a premium offering attracts generally aren't trying to nickel and dime you or micromanage your company after the sale. They don't call and complain, you know, unless it's a legitimate problem uh, because they believe that it's worth the value that they paid for. You know, and sophisticated uh, buyers uh, with the kind of money you want to be attracted to, uh, are those are the people that buy high-end offers, and they won't even consider low-price offers as they kind of go by the motto of you get what you pay for, uh, me included. You know, I typically don't focus on price. I'm more concerned about buying, at, at a minimum, the middle-of-the-road price product, but usually the higher-end product because I'd rather have something that I feel is good quality and all that kind of stuff. And that's a lot of people feel that way. Um, you know, so particularly in business, I think that's a difference in, in philosophy that I think we need to all have. And to take that a little bit further, your more sophisticated buyers or buyers who are, are looking for the value and not necessarily just price, you know, they're willing to pay for, you know, the best, so to speak, because that's what they want. And they really, really view themselves uh, as someone who buys premium products, who has an identity of that perspective, you know, so. Okay, so I'm going to go with the premise that uh, you buy into what I'm saying, but, you know, I mean, that's great, Robert. You know, how do I implement this in, in real terms? And it's actually pretty simple, just five steps in, in my mind. First, uh, you have to evaluate your offering again for your dream client's perspective and not your own. I mean, just because you wouldn't buy, you know, a $30,000 uh, piece of equipment doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who can buy it easily and would have great value for it. You know, but sometimes we think, you know, uh, if we make, you know, a certain income, let's say you make a hundred thousand a year and, you know, uh, you know, you're selling a product that's $30,000 and we talked about this in a couple episodes ago, but, uh, you know, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's almost a third of your, you know, may, uh, profit at the end of the year. But, and so it seems like a lot, but if you're making, you know, 2 million a year, that 30,000 is not a lot of money. I mean, that's, you know, from a relatively speaking. So it depends on your buyer's perspective. And so, Again, if you attract the right buyers, the price is not going to be the issue. You know, the quality of their product, the service they get, and all the bells and whistles will be the issue. So, number one, evaluate your offer, you know, and look at it from a different perspective. And then number two, you have to change your own mentality from just offering a product or service to one of providing the best solution and the best offer you can to clients. You know, doing that will help you develop your offer and make it even more worth that premium price. Number three, uh, you got to draw a line in the sand at some point. You know, change your pricing structure as of, you know, X date for new customers. I mean, don't change anything for existing customers if they're repeat buyers or they're on subscription or something. But after a few months of working out the kinks of focusing on the new structure, then you can start notifying and migrating existing clients so you can educate them on the why uh, as to far why you're changing to more of a premium feel and, and how it's actually good for them. Then number four, be willing to lose sales as you improve the quality of your sales. You know, it's part of the transition process. It's expected and it's really part of the plan and tells you you're on the right track. So you shouldn't be afraid of this. You should expect it. Uh, and it's, but it's much better to have quality sales and quality clients than it is to have uh, clients and customers who will never come back and we're always focused on pricing who jump ship at the, you know, quickest uh, thing they can, you know, just like I said, with the competitor who charges a lower price. But, you know, if you focus on getting fewer sales that are higher quality, in the long run, they'll stick with you and that's what's going to grow your business. So, and then the last thing, you know, after you make the internal changes in your company, you want to start focusing on changing the perception in the marketplace of your offering. 
you know, stop uh, marking your solution as the low cost leader and instead start showing the, the value and the bragging that you are a premium choice and only for the customer who wants the best. I mean, there's a reason that Mercedes had that ad going a few years ago where they had a little motto, you know, the best or nothing, you know, and um, for people who want the best and who want that quality, they're willing to pay for it. And we should not, we should be able to give them that. So besides taking the steps, you know, you might be wondering, okay, well, specifically, how do I do this? You know, if I've been selling my product or service for X dollars, how can I suddenly just change and start you know, charging double or whatever the high end of the market charges? Again, it's pretty simple. And everything, um, like we talked about in previous episodes, is about perceived value. And that's an important word. People will buy the same product package in a different way uh, if they perceive the, the value in a different way. So enhancing and increasing the perceived value, you know, it doesn't have to be an expensive thing or a major product overall it, or overhaul. It's actually just the little things. You know, as an example, you know, I was in an auto accident about 18 months ago and uh, had to have surgery on my neck and, you know, all the typical things that goes along with that. And, you know, I'm at the point where the, the doctor uh, told me to, to get the final step to get me out of pain and headaches and everything was to uh, get massages, uh, you know, often. Uh, how do you like that? A doctor who prescribes massages. And he was adamant that uh, I not do the local, you know, massage franchise, but that I go to a, quote, spa, you know, the cucumber on the eyes type of place. Uh, so, you know, I, I've always gotten a few massages here and there. I, I enjoy it. I know not everybody does, but my wife is, you know, she's could take it or leave it. But, you know, typically, you know, if you go to a local massage place in my area anyway, it's I think it's about 100 bucks for 90 minutes. Um and, uh, you know, but so what I did based upon the doctor's recommendation, I decided, OK, I'm going to do what he said to do and go to a fancy spa instead. And so it was like closer to three hundred dollars for the same amount of time. And so the question is, other than, the, you know, the doctor telling me to, why did I spend three hundred dollars instead of one hundred dollars? I mean, if you've ever had massages, you know that it's probably, you know, it varies based upon the therapist's skill. You know, there's certainly ones that are horrible and there's certainly ones that are good and middle of the road and everything else. But in my experience, I've been to, you know, many high-end spas, you know, my honeymoon at the Ritz-Carlton, we went to, you know, the high-end spa there. And I've, like I said, I've, I normally get massages at the local place, you know, that's a franchise or whatever. And the skill set, uh, I've found people in the, the local cheaper place that are just have the same skill set as someone in a high-end spa at something like the Ritz-Carlton or a real fancy place. Uh, so the therapist isn't a real big difference. It really depends on which person you get to, you know. Of course, the facility is much nicer and, you know, a, a fancy spa or whatever. But, you know, uh, at least for me, that's not real important. You know, uh, I could care less. I'm more ex concerned about once I get in the room, what's the experience, you know. But, you know, I think it's really the difference in how they make you feel in the buying process. You know, when you come into a fancy place, they greet you. They offer you a glass of water. You know, they've got a private dressing room, uh, you know, where they provide a bathrobe and sandals, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, if they wear your your same clothes into the room, you know, they provide a private waiting room, you know, with the, you know, the water jug with the limes in it and the snacks and all that kind of stuff. And, and all that is, you know, very little actual cost other than, you know, the obvious facility and stuff, but it's, you know, a local franchise could do the same thing or very similar and it wouldn't have to be that much more costly. They just need the space, you know, and then for the actual massage, you know, um, in this particular spa, you know, the therapist, you know, um, again, it's a low cost thing, but, you know, sometimes they like to massage your scalp, you know, and if you ever had that done, you know, they, you know, sometimes they have oily hands and then they start massaging your scalp and you, you walk out with, you know, your hair looking crazy, of course, but then also with oil in your hair. And for me, I, I can't stand that. So my first thing I want to do is take a shower. But you know, at the, the high end place, the lady 
wash her hands after, you know, doing the other part of the massage to get the oil off there before she did the scalp massage. Did that cost any money? No, it was just one little step. And then the same thing, you know, they take a warm towel and rub the oil off your feet. Then she goes and washes her hands again, you know, before touching you. Uh, that way you don't slip around on the sandals. You know, they put a little washcloth over your eyes, you know. You know, the point of all this is that, you know, there's differences that are not really much change in the actual cost of the service. But, you know, other than, like I said, the fancy building or the decor, which I don't care about, but they're spending very little on raising that perceived value. And yet they can literally charge three times of, of what the local place can charge. And, you know, people are willing to pay for that experience. You know, people like my wife who would rather do a massage once a year at a fancy place than go to, uh, you know, a local place, you know, you know, every month or whatever. You know, so I hope this illustrates how easy it is to add perceived value to your product or service. It actually is very little things uh, that make a big difference in things that are not costly. So I would challenge you to brainstorm some things that you could add to your service or product that are relatively low cost, but will greatly enhance the perceived value because that's all what matters for your customers. And, you know, I get it. This process can be scary. You know, if you've used price as your primary competitive edge in the past, I know we did. Um, but it's, you know, it's worth the temporary pain, the feeling you get from being premium versus being low cost. And it's an amazing difference. The stress relief of not having to worry about, you know, you're going to lose sales overnight uh, with some undercutting competitor that comes along. You know, the freedom to truly service your clients to the best of your ability. I mean, not to mention the increased profit. All those things make it the, really the only good long-term strategy to grow your business and, more importantly, keep your sanity. So I hope you got some of that today. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something you can implement right away. I know your time is valuable, and it's really an honor to serve you. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and give me your honest feedback and what future subjects would help you out the most. Now, I've also put together a short ebook on some of the top lessons I've learned in 20 years uh, in a B2B business. You can download a free copy at growyourb2bcompany.com. That's growyourb2bcompany.com.